welcome back, everybody, to Innovative Leadership. I'm your host, Ryan Stickle. With me, as always, is Stephanie Hurd. Hello. Welcome and back. It's it's hard to believe, but this is our final episode of 2023. Wow. As we head into the new year. If you're listening the day this comes out, should be. We, I hope it's uh, December 20th, because that's when I do plan on releasing this episode. Um, but uh, we thank you for joining us and you know being on this journey throughout our, our first year. And what better way to finish off 2023 than with our guest today, Julie Gaver. She is the owner of Julie Gaver Discovery and the founder of Souls of Love. Julie, thank you for joining us. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here and happy to be the final yes. the final interviewee. Very, great. very exciting as we, we count down here to the new year 2024 coming up. Um, but we're going to go back in time first before we okay. get to the new year. Uh, Take us back. We can go as far as you'd like. Oh, my to, goodness. To, 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 <laughs> to talk about your career, uh, where you're at right now, kind of transitioning maybe between things or, or out of some things. Um, we, where, how far back do we want to go here? Well, in the interest of time, let's not go the whole way back because <laughs> I know there's a limit to how long this podcast lasts. But I um, was a career uh, corporate trainer for the majority of my life and my career. Um, I started about at the age of 40. Um started my own company as a corporate trainer, as a keynote presenter. Um, and for those uh, years leading up to really the present time, I focused primarily on um, employee engagement, uh, workplace culture, uh, leadership development. But I had a special sweet spot for uh, working with employees um, and just, you know, how do you get the most out of your work? You know, how do you feel good when you walk through the door? Um, and so a lot of people call that motivational speaking, which I never liked that term <laughs> because I always had this image of the the uh, Saturday Night Live <laughs> down by the river. Remember that yeah, skit? Yeah. Um, but what I did always do is try to focus on positivity um, and choice and attitude and that kind of thing. So it's looked very different over the years, depending on uh, who I'm working with and, you know, what their specific needs were. But that was, you know, kind of what my focus was in a nutshell. It's nice that you kind of add that nuance to it, because I think even though there are so many great ones, you hear motivational speaker oh, and you just it kind of sounds corny. A little it bit does. It, right. Yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, and I've said this like more times than I can count, uh, you can't motivate another person. And so that whole term always kind of irritated me. You know, when they would say you're a motivational speaker, I would always say, well, I'm a storyteller mm -hmm. and I hope that what I share with you inspires you. But. I'm not going to take the responsibility of saying I'm going to motivate you. Right. So that's is that, the difference. Is, is that because motivation should ultimately come from one's Exactly. It comes self, from basically. within. It yeah. comes from within. You know, I can uh, educate you. I can uh, put fear in you. <laughs> I can um, inspire you. I can do all kinds of things. But motivation is the one thing that does come from within. I love that you mentioned that. You're a storyteller mm -hmm. um, because I was going to ask you, I know at one point, you know, the speaking and the coaching yeah. turned into writing as well for it you did. and you're the, the author of a few books. So can you yes. tell us how that, how that kind of morphed into your, yeah. your writing journey? Well, and when I look back on my whole career, the storytelling really was kind of the thread that was sort of woven through all of it. First it was speaking and then the writing actually came about, um, 
during a period of desperation, um, take you back to like 2009 when the economy dived. Mm -hmm. And here I am, you know, I'm a corporate trainer. And the two things that companies usually will eliminate during really tough times like that is marketing and training, Mm -hmm. two of the most important things. But however, they always looked at that as nice to have. And so during that period of time, as a self-employed corporate trainer, I was looking at a very uh, empty looking you know, workload. Um, and so two things happened. I thought, you know, I can just sit around till this is over and feel sorry for myself, or I can make really good use of the time. And so one of those things was I've always wanted to write a book. And I think the thing that prompted that was because I do tell so many stories in my presentations, and those are the things that people remember. You know, they don't remember the points that are on, you know, the PowerPoint slide, but they never forget that story. Mm -hmm. And if it's funny or if it's poignant or, you know, just meaningful to them, they will remember that. And so people were always saying, oh, you should write a book. You should write a book of some of those stories that you've told. So I worked on that during that period of time. And so... See, my first book came out uh, right at the end of that period. So, you know, I was very focused on something that was fun, that was new, kind of scary. I, I didn't know if anyone would even buy it, quite frankly, but I was just writing it to keep myself busy. And then the second thing that I did during that dip, you know, when we weren't so busy was um, I went back to school. And coincidentally, my youngest son was in college at the time. And so I went back to college and I ended up uh, with a master's in instructional systems development from UMBC. ISD is the term that they use. Um, And so that was kind of fun to be back in school. I was probably one of the oldest ones. (laughs) <laughs> in my program, you know, I looked around at the orientation and I thought I could be all of their parents. Uh-huh. Um, but that was exciting, too, because I had been out in the workforce for quite a while. And, you know, it was a, a lot of the the classes that I took were more um, affirming or validating what I had already been doing. So that was kind of fun as well. I was going to ask how challenging that was, because that's even you know, maybe knowing a lot of the subject matter, I mean, that can still be pretty daunting to dive back into that atmosphere. Yeah, yeah, it was. And I I remember the first time I had to write a paper, I was calling my son saying, you know, I forget what all this means, you know, and, you know, how you have to write the 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 papers and the different programs and that kind of thing. So he kind of walked me through that. It was a little daunting. Um, What I found, which was um, exciting, was that because I was older and many of the people that went through that program were people who wrote curriculum and wrote training programs for a living, I wrote my own but also delivered them. Mm -hmm. And that was something different. And I can remember sitting in one of of the final classes uh, in the program, and there were like 12 or 13 of us in the room. And the instructor professor would talk about a certain issue and everybody would be talking about kind of textbook case information. And I'd be listening to it. And then finally I'd go, I'll never forget the time 
when I was up in front of a group and this happened and I would start telling the story. And so many of them gave me that feedback after it was over about how much richer the experience is when you have someone who's a little bit more advanced in years and has the stories that can back up, you know, the information. And stories just stick with people. Oh yeah. I don't know if it's the, you know, it, I guess it's all the above, you know, there's the emotion that it can kind of elicit from people when you, it is a powerful story when it's a real world example, that's going to hit you a little yeah. harder than if you just, you know, read something, yeah. you know, and, and hearing it from a person too, yeah. because it's, you can only get so much out of, you know, a textbook. Unfortunately. A textbook. <laughs> and it's a way that we connect with people when we hear someone and it has, even if it's not a similar story to us, we can, we can relate to them differently. Mm. So I imagine too, just knowing, knowing that other people have gone through it and it doesn't yeah. always go according to plan. Yeah. I mean, I know that's, that's been one of the biggest lessons of my career. You know, you start out and you just think, okay, everything's going to be yeah. perfect. And yeah. if anything goes wrong, then I <laughs> failed. Like yeah. that went out the window quite yeah. a while ago. Yeah. <laughs> and people love a good, uh, you know, how I, uh, how I rallied story. Yep. You know, um, and my style and speaking, as well as many of the stories that ended up in my books, um, were not really success stories as much as stories that were humbling. Mm -hmm. um, and many of the stories that are the most humbling are also funny, you know, <laughs> because in retrospect, you can look back at something that was so important to you back then, and now you can laugh at it. Mm -hmm. And so people also appreciate that, I mm -hmm. think, the ability to laugh at yourself. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I and I know some of those storytelling has also translated to your social media. You're, you're quite a local celebrity on Facebook, <laughs> I believe. <laughs> I do love you some social media. You know, it, it's, it's a funny dynamic. And we were just talking about that before we started. Um, social media really is storytelling. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, a lot of times I will make a post and my husband, who is very private, and very much more an introvert, totally opposite from me. He will see something that I've posted, you know, and he'll say, Julie, Julie, you know, really? Did you really want to put that? <laughs> and yet those are the times, I think, when you're the most authentic mm -hmm. and the most real and you share like some ridiculous thing that happened to you that you did or whatever. Those are the ones that people respond to. Mm -hmm. So I do... I do love social media. It's uh, even, you know, in retirement, social media is a great way that you can um, influence people, that you can connect with people, and, and that you can really make a difference to other people. So, well, I think there's such an authenticity of who you really are. Um, you know, we were just talking here before you arrived about like the differences in business world, even from like the 90s into the early 2000s and from the early yeah. 2000s to now. And, you know, there was a time where I think you only let your professional connections mm -hmm. kind of see the professional version of yourself. Yeah. And I think that's one thing that you've done really well throughout your career is like you've shown a little bit of, of your personality and mm -hmm. who you are personally and who your interests are. Um, and I know I've always found that very inspiring to just see how you've been able to balance that Thank and, you. and show show all the sides of Julie. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, you know, as it relates to social media, when I first, you know, started dabbling in it, um, 
I had kind of a formula for how I would post. Um, and then it just became not a strategy, but it just became kind of how I approach things. And it was kind of three categories. The first one was I will post something that is educational. And that could be, you know, here's a great article on communication that you might enjoy. Uh, here's a great TED talk that I heard on, you know, leadership. Uh, take a listen to it and tell me what you think. So those types of things were educational. And then the second type that I would post would be what I called informational. And that would be, oh, I'm going to be presenting at such and such a conference next week. Or, um, you know, here's a, a cool thing. Did you know I just, you know, published a book or something like that? So it was mm -hmm. really informing people about all the different things that I did. But the third category was what I called entertainment. And those were the ones I enjoyed the most. And I tried not to always have them be the quote unquote entertainment. But what I found was, you know, I would post something that was educational. I would post something that was informational. But when you post something that is what I called entertainment, which is the this is life, that's the thing that would get people to respond or get people to, you know, join in a conversation. So, again, it gets back to that storytelling mm -hmm. being so very important and whatever it is that you do. Yeah. And I've found the same thing here working our social media is, um, you know, we'd love for the blog, sharing a blog to do great numbers yeah. and, you know, sharing the podcast is it, it helps that there's a, you know, person involved. They can kind of branch that to their network, but the fun videos we put out yeah. where people are talking about their Halloween costume or, you know, what they're thankful for, for Thanksgiving yeah. or what our fun event was for, for that quarter, stuff like that. It, it gets the most interaction because people get excited about that stuff and they love to see themselves in it as well. And then it kind of just embodies like that kind of fun culture that, that, and again, it goes back to emotion. Yeah. Uh, that kind of feeling you get when you're doing something that you enjoy. Yeah. There's a great uh, quote that I've used many, many times in my career. And it says, logic makes you think, but emotion moves you to action. And emotion can be any number of things. It can be something that, you know, makes you, you know, really, you know, hurt even or, you know, something that just, you know, touches you in such a way you're reading it and, you know, you'll see people respond crying or something like that. But emotion is also laughter. Yeah. And I think in this day and age, uh, particularly I've noticed post-COVID, I mean, some of the funniest post and some of the funniest stories came out of the COVID era, you know, and how, you know, how we're dealing with it. And then people would read it and they'd be like, oh my gosh, you know, and mm -hmm. then they would share their story. <laughs> and again, it just kind of is a way to connect us to each other. Without a doubt. And I found that social media, you know, being someone who in my role does a lot of writing, mm -hmm. it's writing with a completely different part of your brain. Yeah. It's not writing that you know, informative blog post. Yeah. You, you throw a little kind of a little bit more personality yes. into it. Yeah. And it's a way to kind of capture your thoughts in a moment if it is on, you know, a more personal level. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I find that, you know, what you put into it is what you get out on social media because there are there's plenty of negative there. Yeah. Um, and I, I find that the people who like it are the ones who maybe understand it a bit more and know yeah. how to get the best out of it. Yeah, exactly.
So I, I know you've done that on, on your page and it's, it's fun that you've had, you know, kind of those buckets because that's the same type of thing that I have where it's, this is informative mm -hmm. and, and here's the fun part. So that's cool. You've done that. Uh, I wanted to jump back because mm -hmm. everything that I've learned about you so far, you're very uh -huh. much a self-starter. It seems like, okay. and I mean, you've started a business and wrote a book and you decided <laughs> you want to go back to school and, and, and do all that. I wanted to talk to you about starting a business because I can imagine that's very scary, but also very rewarding. Yes. So when you ultimately made that decision, what inspired that? Um, that was a very emotional decision. Actually, I have um, always worked in the uh, PR, marketing, sales environment. My educational background was in um, the behavioral sciences, psychology, sociology, social work, had a concentration in. However, um, all of my jobs and in my career have been more leaning towards marketing, PR, that kind of thing, which requires a lot of that knowledge. Um, I was working as a director of public relations. Uh, this was um, approaching 40. And um, I worked for a CPA firm in Frederick. And um, at that time, you know, CPA or CPA firms were not really hiring marketing people or salespeople. That was kind of unheard of. Um, but that's what I was doing at the time. I had two small children, two sons, um, and I was your typical overworked working mom um, because I was trying to do all of it. Um, I was working full time. Um, my older son had just started middle school. My younger son was uh, in elementary school. And, you know, I was the den leader and would rush them to soccer practice and do all of those things. And um, and I've shared this story so many times and it still kind of gets me mm. um, to tell it. But we were, I had picked them up after school. We were on our way to soccer practice. My older son was in the back seat. My younger son was in the front. And he looked over at me and he said, mommy, can I ask you a question? And I said, well, sure, honey, what's, what's up? And he goes, why don't you ever smile anymore? Are you mad at us? Mm -hmm. And I mean, that was like a stab in the heart. And I'm like, well, of course I'm not mad. He goes, you act mad. And without even realizing it, I think the weight of everything. And, you know, you talk to any woman, um, you know, and you're trying to balance so many things, particularly when you have a family, um, that uh, you wear it mm -hmm. on your face or you wear it, you know, in the way you carry yourself and you don't even realize. You think you're doing a great job of covering it up. Um, and so I remember that evening after they had gone to bed, I was talking to my husband and I'm like, you know what? I do not want to look back on my life and have my grown son say, my memory of growing up was, mom was always so stressed and this and that. So that started a dialogue between the two of us on how can we sort of do things differently to make that work. Um, so at the time, to me, um, the answer was, I'm just going to quit my job for a while and I'm going to spend some time uh, with them and then figure out what comes next. My husband had a very stable position. He was a commuter down to 70. Um, and so I took uh, some time off and people thought I had lost it. Like I was, you know, having my midlife crisis because, you know, I'm turning 40, you know, this whole thing. Um, but to make a long story short, I was off for a year 
And um, it was wonderful. You know, I was volunteering. I started really taking good care of myself and, you know, doing all these things. But I got bored very quickly. <laughs> and, um, you know, at the time, I was teaching part-time for Dale Carnegie. I don't know mm -hmm. if you're familiar with that training program, but I was a part-time instructor for them while I was working, you know, uh, full-time uh, in marketing. And uh, so I went to this retreat, a women's retreat, uh, while I was off. And during that period of time, I started doing a lot of kind of soul-searching about what am I good at, and and it just kept coming back to how much joy I felt when I would be teaching a class for Dale Carnegie. And, and you know, just the people and the interaction, and I loved the adult audience. Um, and so I remember I came back from that retreat and I said to my husband, I, I'm going to start a business. And he laughed at me and he said, doing what? <laughs> and I'm like, well, I don't know exactly quite yet how it's going to work, but this is what I'm thinking. And so my uh, the company that I had left, the CPA firm, ended up being my first client. Because I was already doing training for them mm -hmm. internally. And so it started very, very slowly. Um, and, you know, over a course of 25 plus years, um, you know, it looked different each mm -hmm. as I matured, as I grew in my knowledge base, um, as I saw more of the needs of what companies were looking for. But I didn't know anyone who was doing what I did. Now I can name dozens of people who are doing it, but back then I knew no one. And so sometimes I think that's better, you know, because I had nothing to compare it to. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I had no one to like say, can we have a cup of coffee and tell me how you do this? I just figured it out on my own, wow. but that was the beauty of it. Wow, It was me, you I, know. I love that you tell that story and that you have, had this moment, you know, as women, a lot of us were raised to, you know, you can do it all, yeah. you can have it oh. all, but like Hell the no. reality is <laughs> yeah. you can't yeah. do it all well. Yeah. And At what expense? Gives. Yeah. And that you have that realization of, you know what, like this isn't, let me reprioritize yeah. Yeah. What, what's important, what is most important and where can I spend my time in a meaningful way? Yeah. You know, a, a lot of times, uh, and I've been asked several times to write something on, what would you tell your younger self, blah, blah, blah. And and one of the things I always include is, um, well, you can have it all, but not at the same time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've used the analogy many times when I would be speaking to a women's audience that, you know, we're all juggling the balls in the air and some of the balls are made out of rubber. And if you drop that ball, it sort of bounces away, but it can always bounce back in your life. But there's some balls that you juggle that are made out of glass. And if you drop that one, it can shatter. And so what is it that represents the glass balls and what represents the rubber balls? And so, I mean, for all of us, uh, this is not just a, a women's mm -hmm. thing. It's for men as well. Um, what are those glass balls and what do I savor and protect um, that I am not willing to drop. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm seeing this right now. I'm a new grandmother. Congratulations. Um, I was going to weave that in somehow. You knew <laughs> I was going to do that. But, um, you know, it's my son um, and his wife. And so watching my son now as a, a girl dad and 
all of a sudden his priority is shifting like crazy, you know, and he was like, work, 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 go up the ladder, you know, do all this. And now, you know, he keeps talking about, you know, how do I integrate this? And we always Mm -hmm. use the word integrate. I hate the word balance. Mm -hmm. I've always hated the word balance because that implies that it needs to be equal and it's not always going to be equal. So it's, you know, how, how can I be a really good dad and be an involved dad um, and still, you know, succeed at work? So, you know, we're back to having those conversations and this time it's not about me. (laughs) (laughs) So that's kind of fun. That's funny comes full circle like that and I'm, I'm sure there's you know those kind of memories back yeah. in his brain of you know this worked out for my mom but I don't want to have to get to that point that where she needed that realization yes, exactly I don't want my kid to have to come to me and say or yeah you know, have that why moment aren't of, you smiling yeah yeah, yeah that you don't want that gut punch you want to yeah. be proactive yes exactly yeah. so we talk a lot about that actually Good. even now and she's seven weeks old, you know, (laughs) so, but I think it's important that you start having those discussions early on. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Was there a moment and, you know, this could have been several years in, it could have been instantly when you you started your business that you you had a, maybe a realization of, oh yeah, I can do this for a long time and be successful. Well, ironically, um, my work history prior to being an entrepreneur was um, about seven years I'd get that itch Mm -hmm. um, and I'd get bored and I'm like, okay, I know how to do everything here. And I always worked for smaller companies too. So it wasn't like a really large company where you could go off and do new things within, you know, the parameters of a larger company. Um, And so, you know, about that time I'd start getting this like, okay, I need to do something new. Um, I never had that Hmm. with this experience being my own boss, um, because you're constantly reinventing yourself, you know, when you work for yourself. And I didn't have employees, and that was by choice as well. Um, but, you know, after a while, it's like, okay, I am so tired of doing this kind of work that I'm going to, like, now focus on maybe more keynotes as opposed to training or vice versa. And so, you know, you have the freedom to keep things fresh and to keep things creative. And, you know, I wrote my own material. Um, and so, you know, that was kind of liberating as well. So, yeah, I mean, I never had a period until right here towards the end. It's like, okay, I think I'm done. You know, <laughs> where I was like, I don't think I'm going to do this anymore. I always felt very secure and very happy um, because every day was so different. Yeah, You know, one day I'm doing a leadership development program for, um, you know, foreman at a construction company. And then, you know, two days later, I'm doing, uh, you know, team building with, you know, a nonprofit, you know, so that's, I think, one of the things that kind of kept me interested, because I do get bored very quickly. And so, you know, not having every day be the same was, you know, definitely helpful. So when you decided it was, you know, maybe time to to move on yeah. and, and get out of the business a little bit, was that a, a, a singular moment or was that just over time? It's, you know, even with all the variety in, yeah. the, in this role, in this job, um, I'm still just, I, I've kind of, it's kind of run its course. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm, you know, and I'm never embarrassed to tell my age. I'm 66, you know, I'll be 67 in, in May and, um, you know, the beauty and the challenge, as we've said, is um, you can kind of define what that looks like too. 
what your exit strategy looks like. And um, I've often used the expression, hold on tightly, let go lightly. So for me, it wasn't a, oh, okay, I am done. I'm not taking any more work because I still am taking some work. Um, but it's very intentional. It's very, very selective. Um, but it was like, uh, what, what kinds of things do I still absolutely love? I will do those. What kinds of things, when I get a call for it, I'm kind of like, eh, it's time for me now to say, you know, I'm not going to do, you know, take on that kind of work, or I don't speak on that particular subject matter anymore, but here is somebody who does. Mm -hmm. um, and so I started, you know, because there is a great network of trainers uh, in this area, I would start, you know, kind of um, sort of referring out. So for me, it's been a very uh, kind of fluid um, you know, I had some jobs this fall that I absolutely loved. And, you know, for a second or two, I think, am I really ready? And then I'm like, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to only say yes to the ones that really get me excited again. And that's a mm -hmm. good place to be. For sure. You know? Yeah. And that's pretty amazing, that kind of idea of letting go slowly, because I think some people who are in a similar position to yours and you know they're workaholics right yeah. like they need the work they yeah. can't they can't like you said i mean you you sat at home for a little bit and oh. and you know you were you were involved in things but eventually it's like yeah. I, I just need that you thing need that stimulation. i don't want to feel i don't want to feel bored right and i think people kind of fear that boredom they don't want to mm -hmm. step away so to be able to step away slowly still be involved enough yeah. to and and picking the things you like that you too, really love it's cuz you know you, you're probably a little happy to to drop the things that weren't so great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I remember thinking if one more person ever calls me for a time management seminar, I'm just going <laughs> to like die. So I was very happy to give those away and customer service. And there's certain subjects that I would often be called upon to do. And I'm just like, I'm just not doing it anymore. <laughs> but you know, you hear about people who have worked, had great careers. And then all of a sudden it's like December 31st, I'm done. And then you know, many times this sounds horrible, but they don't live yeah. a mm -hmm. long time because they've not mastered the art of integrating life. You know, it's be, it's either work and then home. And then all of a sudden they're home all the time. And they're like, who am I if I'm not mm -hmm. this, if I'm not an IT person or an accountant or whatever? And really, really struggle with that. And so um, I actually have a program that I, I teach on occasion. It's for women, but I call it Third Bloom Living. And it's geared specifically towards women at this stage who are like, well, I think I want to retire, or maybe I just did, or maybe my nest is empty right now. And what does life look like? You know, and so, you know, I kind of walk them through how do you reimagine life? Um, not doing what you have been doing. And, and that's such a part of your career that doesn't get talked about enough. I mean, everybody's yeah. talking about how do we build the career that fulfills us and excites us? And then mm -hmm. once you have this gift of this thing that you love to do, that's right. I mean, nothing lasts forever. Yeah. What does it look like when, when that part, that thing that was so exciting it's and gone. fulfilling is gone. And how do you, how do you let go of that? And like it or not, we define ourselves by what we do. Mm -hmm. You know, you go to an event and people will say, where, what do you do? Where do you work? You know, this kind of thing. It's usually the first thing that you 
ask a person. But, you know, if you go to an event like that and you would say, you know, Stephanie, you know, where do you work or what do you do? And you say, oh, I love horses and blah, blah, blah. They think that's not the question, <laughs> you know, but, you know, that's our attempt to try and show that, you know, there is so much more to life than mm-hmm. that piece of it. So, um, yeah. You think that's the core of that is, is these women are maybe finding themselves a little bit and finding what they like, because I think so many people work for so long and even if they love the work, that's all that they really know about themselves yeah. when it comes down to it, right? Uh, do you think it's it's a matter of, of finding yourself? It is, and I think it's not just women. Mm-hmm. I do think that's a dynamic for men as well. Yeah. Uh, my husband uh, retired kind of abruptly, uh, you know, due to a disability, um, and you know, I, he struggled with that you know, for, for many years was like, who am I if I'm not this? And he had a big job and he had a lot of people that reported to him. And then, you know, he, he's not the hobby guy like I am. I have oh, so many mm-hmm. interests. And so it took him a little while to kind of figure out who he was and what life looked like. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's strictly women yeah. and a women's issue, but it is about kind of finding yourself again. Um, there's an excellent book that I recommend, um, and it's by a woman named Julia Cameron. It's called The Artist's Way, and she recommends a lot of different types of exercises for people who are at that period in their life, mm-hmm. um, you know, and kind of exploring what other types of things interest you that aren't related to what you did for a living. And And I think not to use the the bad word balance, but Mm -hmm. I think having a work life balance through your career maybe eases that a little bit because if it's work, 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 uh, where's the life at? How do we go? How do we then transition from work or work to life, life, life? Exactly. Uh, Mm -hmm. And that's where that, you know, that integration comes in. Yeah. Yeah. And some of it too, also the, the integration of your multiple networks. You know, mm-hmm. so many people, you spend so much time at the office and so much time at work and that that becomes the people in your life are the people that you work with. Yes. And then when that work goes away, your social network. So who are my friends? Yeah, your social network yeah. can go away. <laughs> so when you are integrating multiple different interests, those interests come with their own networks of people and spending time with different groups yeah. of people and having different friend groups. Um, when, when one role maybe goes away or you don't spend mm-hmm. as much time with your work circle, right. you have these other circles that you're, yeah. you're invested and, in. And a lot of parents feel that too, when their children like graduate from school. Uh, I remember we experienced that. It's like all of our friends were the parents of the kids that our kids were friends with. And then you realize after a period of time, well, we don't really have much in common with each other anymore. So yeah, it's very, it's a very real thing absolutely yeah. i think it's it's funny because it, it's happened to my best friend and myself where you know his parents they they'd have he had pets his whole life mm-hmm. and dogs and cats and his parents said you know we're, we're not getting another dog it's just a lot we're getting older and he moved out of the house and but a month later they got a new dog <laughs> i moved out of the house i had never really had pets growing up yeah. my sisters did and then i was born and three kids was enough there were any <laughs> more pets and my mom had pets forever and it just wasn't a thing at yeah. my house, but I move out. And then I think two months, they got two cats just like that. That's and it's, hilarious. And I was the last one out. Yeah. Right. So that em- the, the emptiness yeah. comes and it's like, that, there's what some, are we going to do? There's some companionship yeah. and it gives you something to do around the house when there's a pet, not, you know, 
a kid and yeah you know pets i I think are probably a little easier than kids because they're they're less they're they're less complex they are (laughs) i'd rather take care of a cat than a baby they don't talk back (laughs) and if they do it's not in english they're just kind of right that's right oh that's so (laughs) So funny i think it's it's funny you see that where it's uh, sometimes it's not really till you get to that moment where you realize you you want to make that decision to get a pet or find that new hobby or just figure out what you like. What are your interests? Yeah. I mean, for me, it um, travel was a big part of that. And that's one of the things, you know, in my quote unquote third bloom, I've really embraced. Um, love to travel, but um, love traveling with other people. And so um, a good friend of mine from high school, we formed like this partnership and we put together trips for women um, we used to call them retreats, but now they're just like travel adventures, you know, because retreat implies we're going to teach them something. <laughs> and a travel adventure is more, you know, we'll let that discovery piece up to you. And as someone who writes, you know, that language is very important. It's very important. Words have power. Yes. Um, but yeah, so we've been, um, well, this coming year, we're going to Italy in the spring and then we're going to Ireland in the fall. We have taken groups to um, Paris. Um, we've gone to Ireland. We did a, a couple domestic trips as well. We did one last year. Um, it was called the Islands of New England. And so, you know, we did the Boston and, you know, Martha's Vineyard. And we went up the wow. coast. And um, that's just been really fun. Uh, again, uh, meeting a very different, diverse group of women all who want to travel perhaps you know their spouse is not interested in traveling uh, many of the women that come with us are either divorced or widowed and said you know I always want to travel but I feel more confident going with a group mm-hmm. so we keep the group small um, we never take more than 17 people um, but yeah I mean that's just so much fun you know we we get together and we're like well where do we want to go next year and the year after that and you know we have a great following that's pretty amazing because yeah. you're you have a group of people who they have this one common bond of, you know, trying to discover the world a yeah. little bit. We're trying to travel. It's a new chapter in life, but all those people have probably lived completely different lives from very each other, different. very different personalities, yep. I'm sure. So that's pretty amazing that you can bring that together. Yeah. Well, hence the word discovery. <laughs> in the yeah. name. Yes. And you know, that <laughs> was a go. very conscious uh, change in my company name. I was always Julie Gaver training and development. And then uh, was doing a rebranding. And, you know, when I'm talking with, you know, the people that are working with me on that rebranding, um, we dug pretty deep. And I said, you know, really, a lot of it's about discovery. Discovery can be sitting in a classroom. It can be when you travel. It can be um, at some kind of an event. I host a lot of events uh, at my my property. Um, and a lot of times, you know, women come who don't know each other and then all of a sudden discover some other unique interest or commonality that they have with other people. So yeah, I love the word discovery. (laughs) It's just, and it's, it's kind of like ambiguous a little bit. Discovery can mean a lot of things. Isn't that wonderful? Yes. So it's like, if people were to say, what does that mean? It's like, what does it mean to you? (laughs) You know? And we are, we're an audio medium, but I wish the audience could see the joy of (laughs) Lily's face as she says that. Yeah. What does that mean? The greatest thing. Yeah. Um, Do you think that's the most rewarding part of, of your career is to be able to 
bring these groups of women together and and help them discover? It is. Okay. It it is. So now I'm going to get a little bit choked up. Um, we have tissues. <laughs> that's okay. Particularly at this stage in my life, I love like we have the Italy trip filled already. Um, we filled it in about two hours. Wow! It was like crazy. I, I was joking about when we when we made it live and we started sending the information out. I said I felt like I was selling Taylor Swift again. <laughs> I mean, but it just shows how much of a thirst there is for people to do that kind of thing. Um, but it means so much to me to bring together. In this case, now for me, it's a group of women who don't know each other. You know, many of them have never met and we always have a a meet and greet before we go off, you know, and that's coming up in January. And I always start with, um, you know, say a little bit about yourself. Um, Why do you want to go to wherever, like Paris or whatever? And what are you most looking forward to when we're there? So that kind of helps my partner, Connie, and I to make sure we can hopefully get them to. Yeah, experience that, even though we have a set itinerary. And to watch a group of women sitting around, and at the beginning, it's kind of awkward. You're saying the little, hi, my name is. By the end, already, they're like, oh, I can't wait for this. I can't (laughs) wait to that. And then we come back from a trip, and now they want to get together for reunions. And, you know, other subgroups will get together, and they'll want to go out. and. so I kind of feel like now my career is a connector mm. um, and that feels good. Uh, and I love that that's all kind of still following, following under this Julie Gaver discovery brand. Like, is that, so is that kind of the plan moving forward that you've rebranded yourself a little bit to continue doing what fulfills you yeah. as it comes? And I would love to tell you, I have some strategic plan <laughs> for that, but I don't. Um, and you know, I, I'm very much the kind of person that's just open Mm -hmm. to seeing what happens and what presents itself. And, you know, COVID had a lot to do with that too. Mm -hmm. You know, I think uh, COVID for us really helped us to remove the expectations of what things are supposed to be like, and just be open to Mm -hmm. listening and watching and saying, what if Mm -hmm. I love the question, what if, um, but yeah, I, you know, if you ask me, don't ask me, what does the future hold? Because I really don't know. But I know when I hear something and I know, you know, if I see something, it, you know, will trigger something mm-hmm. in me. It's like, wouldn't it be cool if we could do yeah. whatever? And, um, and you're finding, you're finding the voids that if something feels exciting to yeah. you, like it will fulfill you. It sounds like there's probably other there's people other out people, there. other people, I know. One of the craziest trips that I planned, and it was a fluke. Um, this was quite a few years ago. I was obsessed with Fixer Upper. Do you mm-hmm. remember on HGTV? Yes. I watched it all the time. And I remember I was laying in bed watching Fixer Upper at night on you know the TV in our room. And I was on Facebook and I made some random comment about how I love Fixer Upper. I want to go there sometime to Waco and experience the Magnolia experience. That's all I wrote. And all of a sudden it was like, I want to go. I want to go. Everybody started writing. And uh-huh. then I'm like, all righty then. 
let's go. And so, you know, I called a travel agent to work with me and we took 17 women to Waco and we went to Austin as well, but it was such a random thing <laughs> that was not planned. I think that's what makes it fun. Well, yeah. I, I love, I love the, all of the turns that your, yeah. that your experience has taken. It's and pretty random. I, I want to back up a little bit because I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about souls of love. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, How long have we been talking? So, <laughs> I didn't bring that up. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us <clears throat> at what point that came into play and, and how, how that journey has yeah. gone. Um, it happened during that period uh, when the downswing and the economy, and I had wrote this book mm -hmm. and the book was called must love shoes mm -hmm. and it has nothing to do with shoes. It was just a collection of stories, but it was geared towards women. And so I became known as the shoe lady, you know? And so, um, at the same time, and I know Stephanie, you'll appreciate this. Um, at that same time I was, uh, on the board and I was the board chair of, um, leadership Washington County. Mm -hmm. And during my tenure, we started uh, a scholarship program where we would uh, select a couple of uh, executive directors from local nonprofits who wanted to take the program but couldn't afford the tuition at the time. And so as we're interviewing all the candidates for the program, we're also uh, interviewing some of the EDs who were interested in the scholarship. And so I was on one of the panels and Ann Martin from Children in Need uh, came in for the interview and she was also interested in the, um, in the scholarship. So at the end, the last question that I asked her was, um, I'm just curious if you're not awarded the scholarship, do you think that your board of directors would still approve um, the expense for you to be in this class, even if you couldn't get it? And she paused for a moment. I don't know if either one of you know her. Mm -hmm. She's like, well, you know, I don't really know. But even if they did, that's an awful lot of money that I could buy shoes with for kids. And, you know, here I am, the shoe lady. I was like, <laughs> ding, ding, ding. And I'm like, what do you mean? And, and she said, you wouldn't believe how many kids in Washington County can't even start school because they don't have a pair of shoes. And it was just one of those things that went to the back of my head. It wasn't all of a sudden in the forefront, but I remembered that. And so then fast forward, um, after that, I, I'm a act very avid gardener. That's my love. And I was in my backyard and it was a beautiful night and I'm playing in my flowers. And at the time I lived on Main Street in Myersville and the church had, uh, they would play bells every night at seven o'clock. And so I'm in the backyard and I'm hearing this, it is well with my soul and amazing grace and all these beautiful hymns are kind of all through the little town. And I had this like moment and I'm like, this is the most beautiful feeling right now. I wish my friends could feel this. And so it happened that way. And it sounds kind of woo-woo, but I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to throw a garden party and then I'm going to invite all my friends. And then I thought about Anne and I thought, but I want this to have like a purpose to it. And so I called Anne and I said, I've got this crazy idea. What if I had a party in my backyard and I asked everybody to bring a pair of shoes? Could you use them? And, you know, Anne's like, oh, my gosh, of course I could. You know, and she's <laughs> going on and on. And so it started that way. 
but I technically live in Frederick County. And so I thought, I have to find a Frederick County nonprofit as well. And so I reached out to Ann Ryan, who is with the Housing Authority of Frederick, asked her the same thing. And she said, yes. So that's how it was born. It was in my backyard the first year. Um, we collected a whopping 100 pair of shoes. And 75 women came. And I split them evenly and gave half of them to Ann uh, Martin and half to Ann Ryan. And I remember it was so much fun and I was so pumped up. And I remember saying to my husband, I'm going to do this again. And I said to him, wouldn't it be cool if maybe some year I could actually get like 500 pair of shoes? I thought that was such a big deal. <laughs> um, and so we are getting ready to have our 14th year. Wow. Wow. We have collected, now see, I'm not the numbers person, but in excess of 34, 35,000 maybe wow. pairs of shoes. Um, and, and this is terrible because numbers don't stick with me. But this past summer, I think we did 5450, something like that, 5,450 pair. Um, and now we distribute to, uh, we have 10 nonprofits <clears throat> that get shoes from us. Wow. So, so, so in 14 years, you started with one party with 75 women, collected 100 shoes, and you are now up to yeah. a party yeah. with 10 nonprofits distributing over 5,000 Over 300 that come to the party now. It's amazing. It's always been in my backyard. Um, and then the last couple of years, it was over 300 people. And the logistics of that <laughs> are a little crazy. And so it's another one of those hold on tightly, let go lightly. Um, I'm like, it's time to start going to public venues. So this past summer, I tried something different. Um, and it's always been in Washington, Frederick County because that's where I live. And I thought I'm going to find my first public venue is going to be a Washington County. And so we were out at um, Rockland Estates mm -hmm. is where this one was hosted. Um, we ended up that uh, it was about 275 that were there, but we made the collection that we needed. But a lot of the Frederick uh, loyals did not make the drive. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> um, and our base, um, our biggest support is the Frederick County, yeah. even though we give to a lot of shoes in Washington mm -hmm. County. Um, so this coming year we'll be at Surrey Brook, which is a, um, it's a garden center and an event venue in Middletown right okay. off of 40. Um, and every year we have a theme cause we try to mix it up and make it fun. Um, and so the theme this coming year is called blues and shoes. And um, we have a blues band um, that's going to play and um, we have, you know, sponsors that help to, mm -hmm. you know, make this thing happen. And then we solicit for companies and individuals who also want to collect on our behalf. And that's how we've been able to make the jump. You know, there's a limit to how many people can come to a party. Sure. But if you market it right and you can get the community involved, um, that was kind of what helped us to jump in the amount of numbers. So. And, and I will tell you, I mean, the tickets to actually go to the party, these are hot tickets. Yeah. <laughs> actually, um, one of the my coworkers and I, before you got here, we were just chatting. She said, oh, I see you have Julie Gaver coming. Have you been to one of her garden parties? I was like, I have. I haven't been in a few years because you have to hop on. Yeah. 
like they are like Taylor Swift tickets. You have to get them right as they hit. It's a little unnerving. It's exciting, but it's very unnerving. Um, So for that reason, I will say, okay, tickets go on sale, you know, two weeks from now, Monday morning at nine o'clock kind of thing, because, you know, you do have people that um, love to come and are big supporters. And then if they wait too late, they can't get a ticket. So um, we have a little bit more leadway when it's at a public venue. Mm -hmm. So for example, when we were at Rockland, um, I could have gone a little higher, but you know, when it's in your backyard and the logistics of it, you just have to say no more. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, that is like just amazing. It's kind of mind blowing that when you really put the number on it, to think this is just, I mean, we're just out here and you it's know, so emotional. Just out here in Maryland I, and, and this oh. this isn't some big New York City, yeah, you know, party yeah. or donating thousands of shoes. We're out here in Washington and Frederick. But see, County. this is a testament to community. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, boy, I, I've been blessed to be able to watch the distribution before. I've been to um, Children in Need when the kids have gotten their shoes. Um, Girls Inc. is one of the recipients. I've been there before when they received the shoes. Um, We've added, oh, Girls on the Run is also in Mm -hmm. Washington County. Um, This past year, we added uh, Boys and Girls Inc., Mm -hmm. Uh, Boys and Girls Club, I'm sorry, Um, they're in it as well. So we've added um, a couple other nonprofits, and I've been very blessed to be able to to see it go full circle. And boy, you see a kid who comes in. In fact, this year they sent me a picture because I couldn't be there, but the pair of shoes that this child was wearing had a hole in the sole, and the picture that they sent me, they had their finger stuck up through the hole, so you could see it went all the way through. And then they showed, obviously, just the feet, but they showed the pair of shoes that the child left with, you know, brand new. And you watch that dynamic, you put the pair of shoes on them, and you think, oh, it's just a pair of shoes. Mm -hmm. And this kid starts posing, (laughs) and the face lights up. And the thing that's been really exciting And this has just happened in the last couple of years. And again, this is the community. This has nothing to do with me. But the community has really kind of reached up. And the shoes that they donate now are, you know, the Nikes and the Under Armors and, you know, the name brands where at the beginning they were, you know, it was a pair of shoes. And we are grateful for all the shoes. But but when we do the distribution to the nonprofits, when they come to get them, they will even say, oh, my word, these are great shoes. These are great <laughs> shoes. And that's what really gets to you, too. Because when I stop and think about that many pairs of shoes over course of that many years, and I mean, even if you say $20, and a lot of them cost more than $20, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a lot of money that's been donated by the people of both Frederick and Washington County. Mm-hmm. And that is, to me, is staggering. Yeah, absolutely. When you talk about that amount of shoes. If, Times, if, whatever. If the average price even came out to $15, which I it know, absolutely which does not. Get. Yeah. Uh, these days, it, it might be closer to 40 or even more, yeah. for, especially for a pair of Nike shoes. Yeah. Uh, that's just, I mean, that is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And I think, you know, what what better time to talk about that than this time of year, the holidays. season of giving and yeah, the holidays are here. I know, I know. Um, it's just a amazing thing. And people, uh, again, like yeah. you said, just a, a tribute to the community. Yeah, and it people is. People stepping up like that. Yeah. Uh, before we let you go, I wanted to ask you one more question. Okay. Is this a uh, hard one? <laughs> it might, maybe. I don't okay. know. Um, you know, 
through if it, if it's Julie gave her discovery or another program like it, these people kind of have this common bond of wanting to discover the world or themselves or whatever it might be. Uh, but, and they also have in common that they, they take an action to do that. Yeah. What advice would you give to someone who maybe is a little bit more hesitant to get out of their shell and take part in a program yeah. like this? Well, you know, and there's all kinds of very cliche quotes about, yeah. you know, fear and different things like that. But um, I think we owe it to ourselves to constantly be moving forward and to get used to fear. Mm-hmm. Um, because like with anything, we become de- desensitized to things and fear is also an emotion that we can become desensitized to. And I think the more we put ourselves out there and I don't just mean work related, I mean, personal related, I mean, anything mm-hmm. like I hate going to events where I don't know people, but tonight in spite of the fact that I feel (laughs) sick to my stomach that I'm going to do it, I'm going to try it. And I think the more we just continue to put ourselves in those types of positions, we become stronger and we become braver. And that's really what is kind of the game changer, I think, for most people. Right. That's awesome. Well, Julie Gaver, everybody. Thank you thank so much for you. joining us today. This was thank fun. you so much. Oh my goodness, thank you. Amazing, yeah, the inspiring. The time flew yes. by. Yes, I mean, this, yeah. we're, we're coming up on an hour. That's <laughs> kind of, you know, hey, that and that's good, though. That yeah. means we had some good conversation. And I mean, there's not a second I would be willing to cut out of this Aww. either. So thank you so much. Yeah. Your perspective on life and work is is just amazing. And we really value that. So thank you. Thank you once again, Steph. What a what a year we had here. Yeah, um, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Excited to see what what's ahead for you all. Yes, very exciting things on the horizon. And as always, more amazing guests from the community and, and possibly beyond. We might be going worldwide here. We'll yeah, see. We have we possibly <laughs> spoiler have possibly taking the podcast on the road here in the coming year. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> it's gonna that. be exciting. So uh thank you all for listening. Uh we wouldn't keep this going without you and, you know, keeping our numbers up and, and all that fun stuff. So thank you for listening. We appreciate you and uh, have a happy new year from Innovative Leadership.